0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. A few years ago, I read a book by British historian Tom Holland. Its title is Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. When he started researching for this book, Tom Holland was not at all a Christian. In fact, he had lost any kind of faith in the Christian God as a kid. He was far more attracted to the Greek and Roman gods than to the seemingly pathetic hero of Christianity. But as he set about researching a book on the last 2,000 years of Christian history, he came to some unsettling conclusions. In particular, he realized that many of the beliefs that he as a self-identified agnostic held to be self-evident moral truths were in fact specifically Christian beliefs. For example, our belief that all human beings are fundamentally morally equal, that men and women are morally equal, that the rich and the strong and the powerful should not trample on the poor and the weak and the marginalized, but in fact have a duty of care toward them. The idea that genocide is profoundly morally wrong, and that we should care about the wrongdoing against people who live in a completely different country on the other side of the world who we will never meet and whose ancestry is utterly different from ours. And as as Holland realized that many of his deepest moral beliefs had come to him from Christianity, whether he was aware of that or not, it changed how he then thought about moral absolutes in the first place. And the reality is, as he discovered, if we look back over the last 2,000 years of Christian history, we'll notice an incredible amount of good done by Christians, whether it's founding hospitals or working towards women's rights or creating a world in which infants are seen as valuable humans rather than essentially commodities. And he noticed that the moral frameworks by which we even judge right and wrong historically have come to us from Christianity. But at the same time, as we look back over Christian history and as we look around us in our churches today and as we look in our own hearts, we will find that Christians come with a whole lot of sin. This is, in fact, one of the fundamental premises of Christianity, that we are helpless sinners. And when we put our trust in Jesus and are saved by him, have our sins forgiven and his righteousness given to us, it doesn't instantly evaporate our capacity for sin. And so as we look at the the history of the last 2,000 years, and as we look at the global church today, we'll see incredible good done by Christians as they seek to follow Jesus. But we'll also see the massive gap between how Christians like me live and the moral standards set by our Savior. So to the question, is Christianity the source of many of our moral problems in the world today? The answer is absolutely no. Christianity is the source of our best moral standards and aspirations. But if the question is, are Christians often responsible for terrible moral wrong? The answer is yes. And that is why Jesus needed to come and die for people like me.
1: In a series called For the Life of the World, where we're exploring the effects that Christianity has had on the world and the resources that Christianity offers to human beings. And you'll see from the Rebecca McLaughlin video, that this week we're exploring the goodness, goodness for the life of the world. Or we could turn it into a question, how is Christianity good for the world? Or is Christianity good for the world? And you'll see from her video that she talked about um, Christianity's standards, Christianity's moral absolutes. One of the effects Christianity has had is, is that it actually has elevated the way we treat the weak and marginalized. It's elevated the way that uh, the vulnerable are treated in our society, and yet at the same time, uh, Christians are guilty of incredible moral wrong and evil. Both things are true at the same time. And even over the weekend, I put up a little poll on our church's Instagram and asked, "Is Christianity good for the world? Do you agree with this statement? Christianity is good for the world. Do you strongly agree? Do you strongly disagree?" And what was interesting was a very polarizing question. I got some people who said, I strongly agree that Christianity is good for the world. And then someone else said, I strongly disagree that Christianity is good for the world. And as I asked those people what they meant, I found a lot of it has to do with what you mean by Christianity. Uh, One person who strongly disagreed with Christianity being a good thing for the world said, I disagree because when you say Christianity, what I think you mean is people who hate Muslims and homosexuals. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we all think of that term, Christian, differently. Uh, One of my favorite folk musicians, Todd Snyder, came out with a song about 15 years ago, and the song was called Conservative Christian Right-Wing Republican Straight White American Male. And it was kind of a, a play, he kind of poked fun at people from that group. And I I think that we tend to think about Christians in a certain way, but really the average Christian around the world isn't white and isn't a man. In fact, a study was done and found that the average Christian in the world is probably an impoverished woman in Africa. The people who would identify most of the term Christian, the average isn't even here in North America, it's in the continent of Africa. And so it's important that we ask the question, what do we even mean by Christian? And what do we mean by Christianity? But all of us have different data points. All of us have different reference points for why we think what we do about if Christianity is good or not. Um, But here's the truth. About half the people in our country think religion is a huge problem. In 2017, a poll was done by heart and mind. And the result of that poll was that half of people think religion is the problem. It's interesting, isn't it? And then at the same point in time, we hear what Rebecca McLaughlin has explored in her own research of the, nor- the, the ethics that we hold, the things that we think are normal, like not crushing the poor, that actually comes from Christianity. The world was not like that before Christianity had its influence and explosion. So there is a sense that Christianity is good for the world but I want to challenge you to expand your data points this morning even more and say this, Christians are good for the world. Followers of Jesus are good for the world. Now, one of the reasons that I think we're resistant to that, I mean, even if you're like, yeah, I am a follower of Jesus, and at the same time, I don't like followers of Jesus. I know that some, some of you are there, but one of the reasons that we can end up there is because of our own experiences. We've had bad experiences with the church. We've had bad experiences with self-righteous Christians. We felt shame or guilted or like people are holding us under our thumb. I've had that happen in my life, and that's all real and true. But another reason that we can feel that way is because there's some really popular cultural, cultural narratives out there about Christians. And with every narrative, there's always some truth to it, But sometimes the narrative, the story, takes on a life of its own. Uh, Recently, there was an article that came out by a pastor named Josh Howerton, and he did some research, and the the title of the article was called No, Christianity is Not as Bad as You Think, if you can go back one. No, Christianity was not as bad as you think. Um, And in that, he did some different research, And in that research, he found that the narratives had taken on a life of their own. If you can go to narrative number one. Narrative number one, he said, was that Christians aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. Go forward one. There you go. Uh, Christians aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. And the idea was, especially with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, is that Christians only care about unborn babies in the womb. Once that baby is born... They don't really care about the life. That's the narrative. But as Josh Howerton did some research, he found that the data doesn't actually support that. Uh, He found that, first of all, practicing Christians uh, adopt children at almost double the rate of all other households in the United States. These are people that say, yes, I'm a Christian. They adopt children at double the rate. Uh, Not only that, but they gave to the poor at a significantly higher rate than the average person in the United States. And you see that second graphic up there. Uh, Not only that, go back one, please. Not only that, but uh, beds for the homeless, almost half of the beds for the homeless in our country are provided by faith-based organizations. Now, just on a personal level, I know a lot of churches in Broward And almost every one of those churches has some sort of ministry that is pro-life. And by that, I don't mean for pregnant mothers. I mean they're mentoring at-risk teens. They have a food pantry that's specifically for those who are hungry. They're teaching English as a second language classes for free. Over and over and over, I know of churches who are doing these type of ministries to care for people for free. So that narrative, it's not that it's not true. It's not that you haven't heard someone who just cares about abortion but doesn't care about the rest of life. That's happened, but that's not the whole story. Are you willing to let these data points be some of your data points? The second narrative that Josh Howerton explored was that Christianity— was sexually repressive and anti-sex, creating a toxic purity culture. Now, the idea of purity culture is that Christians are supposed to remain pure in their sexual life until marriage. And we've created a culture around this that when people fail, they have no way to get back into the church. Now, that happens, and that's true, but that's not the whole story. In fact, in Josh Howerton's data, what he found, and I don't know if you can see these numbers, but he found that the people who were most satisfied with their sexual relationship with their partner were men and women who considered themselves highly religious. The least satisfied were people who did not like religion at all. So again, that's not the whole story, but are you willing to let these data points be part of how you see Christians in Christianity? The last last one I want to share, he actually had five, but we're only going to share three. The last one has to do with mental health. And the narrative goes, Christianity is emotionally repressive and bad for your mental health. But there was a study done, a Gallup poll that was done, and found that the people who said, my mental health is excellent, The highest group that answered that was weekly churchgoers. Like weekly churchgoers have the best mental health, like church folk, have the best mental health in the country uh, over Americans in general, over people age 55, over ages 18 to 34, over men, over women. Um, In fact, the Washington Times said that the group that had the biggest improvement or steadiness of mental health during the pandemic was church people. And so this idea that Christianity is emotionally repressive and bad for your mental health, there's more data. There's more to the story than just the narrative that we hear in our country. At the end of this article, Josh Howerton says this, we could go on and on. The more one attends church, the less likely that person is to commit a major crime. Children raised in church-growing households are less likely to be depressed, use drugs, or engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. Christian marriages are 35% less likely to end in divorce. One study even suggests church attendance can add up to seven years to your life. I like that, I'm gonna call you and be like, get to church or you'll die. I'm just kidding. Here's the point. There is a massive gap between the perception of Christianity in the world and on social media, and the reality of who Christians are, and what they do. There's a massive gap between how Christians are perceived or talked about in our country, and what they actually are, and what they actually do. He says, I have no interest in minimizing our faults, or dismissing personal pain. He's saying your story of pain from Christians can still be true, and yet not be the whole story. In fact, because the gospel is true, we can be honest about our failures. But I want to paint a clearer picture of the glorious beauty at work amid the mess. Christians, don't be discouraged when the church is thrown under the bus for this, that, and the other. Your brothers and sisters are doing more good than you can imagine. A non-Christian or someone who's not a follower of Jesus, please don't use our faults as an excuse to avoid looking at the genuine transformation the gospel works on the human heart. Jesus changes people, and he can change you too. So as we look at this question, does Christianity bring good to the world? We have our personal experiences. We have the truth that we find in cultural narratives. But we also have to go, what does the data say? Christians bring good into the world. One of the reasons that we have a hard time with this, or it doesn't quite match up, is because in our culture, we have a different view of what good even means and how even good even looks. One of the things that we're tempted to say over and over and over again is, what's good is what's good for me. What's good for me? In our culture, above everything else, we value personal freedom. We value self-determination. That I should be able to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. So the greatest good then becomes my good. My good. And evil becomes anything that keeps me from doing what I want to do or what I feel like I should do. Now, there's some parts of this that I want to recognize, like that we're more self-aware of what's going on inside of us. That's a great thing. Like that we're more aware of our mental health and we're more aware of things that bring life to us. That's a good thing. But let's take this to its logical conclusion. If we all, if everybody goes, I'm going to do what's good for me, the greatest good is what's good for me, it just doesn't work. It reminds me of this character from the movie The Matrix. Do you remember the character Cypher from the movie The Matrix? And The Matrix is this movie where everyone realizes that they're actually not alive. They're all plugged into the computer. And Cypher is like, listen, real life, it's really hard. I just want to get plugged back into that computer. And they say to him, if you betray all your friends, if you, oh, if you give your friends to us, we'll plug you back into the computer and we'll give you whatever you want. And Cypher's like, that sounds good. Even though it's not real, like I'm going to eat steak, right? And I don't, it's good for me. I, I like the way it tastes, so I want steak. And you know what? I want to be rich and I want to be famous when you plug me back into that computer. And so he, he sells out his friends. He betrays his friends. And, and you and I kind of look at that and we go, oh, that's, that's an extreme example. But it is an example of where it goes when someone goes, the greatest good is my good. You know, even if we were to ask you this, would you plug yourself back into a computer if that computer was programmed to give you everything that you thought was good? Would you do it? M- my guess is no for two reasons. One is, you know, it's not real. But then, two is, you know, that there's something beyond yourself. Like, you know, in your heart of hearts, that the greatest good isn't to get everything that you want. Sometimes, when we get exactly what we want, what we think is good, just like Cypher, it hurts other people. Here's the thing when we talk about goodness, Christianity has a different way of presenting what that is. When we talk about the goodness of Christianity for the world, we're not talking narrowly about a goodness that is good for me or good for you. Rather, the goodness of Christianity is a goodness that first comes to us and then shines through us. It's a goodness that comes not from what we want or what we desire, but rather from the God of the universe moving towards us and then shining out of us. When Jesus comes on the scene, one of the first things he talks about is the good news of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4.23, Jesus begins to go to all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus shows up on the scene and he begins announcing that something good is invading the earth, that God is sending Jesus as a king to invade the world with his goodness so that the government of heaven is now seeping into the world so that the way things are in heaven become the way things are on earth. This is Jesus' ministry. This is how he announces himself that the, the best thing, the goodest thing that can happen to humanity is the invasion of God into our world through him, the good news of the kingdom. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus talks about the good news of the kingdom. And when we get to Paul in Romans, he gives us a little summary of this goodest thing, if you'll allow me to use improper grammar, this goodest thing, the kingdom of God on earth. In Romans 14, 17, Paul says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul's actually writing to a church who is really concerned about what's good for me. Like when he says it's not about eating and drinking, he's not saying we can't have parties. He's not saying don't eat, don't drink. He's writing to a church that's mainly thinking about themselves. And he says, listen, there is something so much more that you're called to. There's so much, some, there's something so much greater and grander. There is so much more goodness than you just getting what you want. It is being part of the kingdom of God because that kingdom is good. And it is a kingdom that comes to you and then through you. And in that kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Theologian Miroslav Volf says that righteousness or justice is the substance of life led well. Peace is the substance of life going well. Joy is the substance of life feeling as it should. That sounds good to me. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As we think about the goodness of Christianity, we are being invited to think about not what's good for me, but goodness coming To us and then through us. First, a righteousness that comes to you. Christianity teaches that we are not good on our own, that we might be good in comparison to other people, but when we compare ourselves to God, we fall drastically short. But that in Jesus, God, in his goodness, has sent his son to die for us. And When we place faith in him, we are given a new status righteous. Unrighteous people given the status before God of righteous. People who have not lived their life according to God's standards, given the status of a life well lived, even though we have not lived life well. It is a gift that comes to us. And when we are declared righteous, We no longer have anything to prove to God. How many of you live your lives scrambling to prove to God that you're good? Like, God, I'll do this if you do that. That is not Christianity. The goodness of Christianity says that we are complete failures in the eyes of God, but we are given the status of his beloved son because there is a righteousness that comes to us but then it also comes through us. We live our lives then trying to practice what God calls righteousness, not to prove it anything, rather to give expression to who God is. Now, now many of you have experienced self-righteous Christians. Even when I say the word righteous, you might hear self-righteous. There are two, two very different things because a Christian can be righteous and live righteously without being self-righteous. In fact, if a Christian is being self-righteous, I would say it's not that they're too Christian, it's that they're not Christian enough. Because we are utter failures, and that humbles us. And yet God has definitively moved towards us, and that gives us incredible confidence. And so as we live our life, we live our life conforming to the law of love. That's what righteousness is. It's actually orienting uh, ourselves to God first and to others second, so that everything becomes about what would God do? How would God love? So as we think about refugees in our midst, we want to act righteously and justly as we think about our enemies. We want to act uh, righteously and graciously as we think about our own sexuality or our own money. We want to live righteously so that that righteousness doesn't just come to us, it actually goes through us. And it's the same with peace. The peace of Christianity is a peace that comes to you first. The night that Jesus was born, angels showed up to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. And what they said has become famous, and you see it posted around on Christmas, but they said, glory to God in the Most High, and peace on earth, peace on earth. That, that is to say that in the, in the arrival of Jesus, a shalom, a peace entered in to the world in a way that it never had before. That through the life of Jesus, he had come to restore. He had come to bring back God's normal. And he had come to restore relationship with, from broken sinners to God. When you trust in Jesus Christ, when you you rest in him for salvation, when you turn away from your sin and you become a Christian, you now have peace with God. You might feel like your status with God depends on how you performed that day, but your status with God doesn't have to do with your performance. It has to do with the peace that Jesus has won you. And you can't lose it. All of God's wrath against your sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross and therefore you have peace with God. A peace that comes to you, but then also through you. The country preacher said, oh, how did he say it? He said, those who have been made by peace, make peace. In other words, those who have been made by the good news of peace in Jesus, then try and make peace in the world. Peace comes to you, and then peace comes through you. I mean, we get an internal peace, even in the midst of turmoil and hardship and challenges, we can be at peace because we know God's in control and he's our friend. But then we can also have enemies. We can have divisions. We can have challenges made by people, and we can move towards those people trying to make peace. A peace that comes through us and a joy that comes to us and through us. Um, Think about this. God's goal, God's goal in having you be saved is your joy. If that doesn't sit right with you, it means you have a wrong view of God. But over and over, uh, the Apostle John talks about the goal being joy. That through your relationship with God, no matter what you're going through, you can have joy. Whether you are in a high point in life or whether you are in the bottom. You can have joy through knowing that God loves you and you have relationship with him. Christianity is all about joy. But then that joy doesn't just come to you. It can go through you. As you infect dark places with the joy of the Lord. See, Christianity, as we think about it, is the good news of the kingdom and salvation in Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness and peace and joy that, first of all, comes to us and then multiplies through us. And the reason that can happen is because God himself, the goal of the gospel is to know Jesus, and then God himself comes to live in you. And he's the one that brings the righteousness. He's the one that brings the peace. He's the one that brings the joy. That's why the last four words in this text say, in the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, then the goodness of God and God himself has come, not just near you, not just around you, but to permanently live in your soul. Christianity is all about goodness coming to people who don't deserve it. So that when it comes to us, then it can be multiplied through us. And the reason that we can receive that is because Jesus himself came near. Our good king came near to die for us. And he got here on earth and he didn't ask the question, what's good for me? Rather, he did the thing that was worst for him in order that he might bring the goodness of God. Jesus was tried as a criminal, was put on the cross to die, was tortured, was belittled, was abused, so that you and I could experience the goodness of God. Do you see how the goodness of Christianity comes near to sinners and broken people like you and like me? Let's thank him. We we are broken people. You and I will go out and we will mess up again. We will do things. You and I will do things that turn people off to Christianity because we are failures and we are broken sinners. But as Rep. Rebecca McLaughlin said, that's the very reason we need the goodness of Jesus. And my hope is that as we get more of that goodness in us, it will continue to change us and make us more like him. Let me pray.
0: Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.